Join with me in John chapter 7, if you will. We have had, I've had so much fun in the Gospel of John. We've been learning about Christ. And remember, John was written for a skeptic. So maybe you come today and you're a little bit skeptical. Is, is Christ the answer or not? John's written for you. Uh, maybe you come today and you're, you're, well, I already know uh, Christ the answer. I already put my faith in Him. Pastor, you don't have to worry about that. Well, praise the Lord. May this strengthen our faith our trust, our belief in Him. And as we come to John, we are uh, just encouraged and strengthened by the truths that we have here. Now we're going to finish up a two-part message that we started last week. And last week we began this message called Embracing the Claims of Christ. And so we looked at, first off, examining those claims. And really, if we think about it, the, the claims of Jesus were really astonishing. Uh, matter of fact, let me just kind of remind you of what we said last week. Some of the claims that Jesus said. He said He came down from heaven, that He had eternally existed, that He had been sent into the world by the Father. He claimed to be the Savior of the world and the only Savior of the world. He claimed to be the determiner of everyone's eternal destiny. He claimed to be the source of everlasting life and the only source. And he claimed to be the only way to God. He claimed to have the, uh, the right to be honored and worshipped on an equal basis with the eternal God. He claimed to be one with the Father. He claimed to have the power to give life, even to raise the dead. He claimed to uh, be able to raise himself from the dead. He claimed to be one of the, uh, uh, the one whom the Old Testament scriptures spoke and the one who was the main subject of the Old Testament. He claimed to be the supreme judge of all men who will one day judge them all at His returning glory. He claimed to be without sin. He claimed to have all authority in heaven and in earth. He claimed to be able to forgive sins legitimately and to have power and the authority to do that. He claimed to rule over the Sabbath. He claimed to have the right to answer prayer. He claimed to be greater than the temple greater than Jonah, greater than Solomon, greater than Jacob, and greater than Abraham. He claimed to have been alive before Abraham was even born. He claimed to be the only uh, source of soul sustenance. He called himself the only bread that could feed the soul. He claimed to be the light of the world. He claimed to be the resurrection and the life. He claimed to be the anointed one, the Christ, the Messiah. He claimed to be the Son of God. He claimed that he had priv the privilege and would one day enter into that privilege of being seated at the right hand of God to reign forever. This is the claims of Christ. And quite honestly, if a man were to make those claims today, we might laugh or scoff, but, and that's exactly what he got. We had some people, uh, the religious elite, who thought he was some sort of not just a blasphemer, but he was, he was Satan himself or filled with Satan. Some thought he was filled with the devil. Some thought he was a, just a false prophet. Some thought he was a good man, just a little cuckoo. But regardless of what they said, you know, they didn't deny the fact that he did great works. They struggled with his words. They struggled with what he said, what he claimed. And today, as we finish this, this message this morning, we're going to look at this, this reality that we can embrace these claims as our own. And there's five reasons he lays out in John chapter 7 why we can, we can embrace these as our own. We can call them our own. We can espouse them, if, if you will, and say, these are mine to have and to hold. I'm, not going, to re, uh, I'm going to keep these as my own. I believe these with great conviction. So in John chapter number 7, we're going to start again in verse number 14, and we're going to read through verse number 24 today. 
It says, Now about the midst of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and taught. And the Jews marveled, saying, How knoweth this man letters, having never learned? And Jesus answered them and said, My doctrine is not mine, but his that sent me. If any man will do his will, he shall know of the doctrine, whether it be of God or whether, uh, whether I speak of myself. He that speaketh of, of himself seeketh his own glory, but he that seeketh his glory that sent him, the same is true, and no unrighteousness is in him. Did not Moses give you the law, and yet none of you keepeth the law? Why go ye about to kill me? The people answered and said, Thou hast a devil who goeth about to kill thee. And Jesus answered and said unto them, I have done one work, and ye all marvel. Moses therefore gave unto you circumcision, not because it was of Moses, but of the fathers. And ye on the Sabbath day circumcise a man. If a man on the Sabbath day receive circumcision, that the law of Moses should not be broken, are ye angry at me, because I have made a man every whit whole on the Sabbath day? Judge not according to appearance, but judge righteous judgment. Let's stop and pray here together. Father, we thank you for your goodness, and we thank you for the Word of God. Lord, thank you that Jesus was willing to reveal himself. Lord, that you uh, so revealed yourself to us that we, Lord, might be the recipients of your great grace and great mercy. Lord, as we, uh, in 2021, Lord, this year that you've given us, Lord, you've allowed us to be in this place today for a purpose and a time such as this. Lord, and we are reminded today that you are calling us to embrace these claims of Christ. Not just, not just say, yeah, that's, that's okay, but Lord, to fully embrace them. May we in our life be transformed by what we believe. We praise you, Father, and thank you in Jesus' name for your goodness and, and his goodness to us. In Christ's name, amen. Christ lays out five reasons that we can really receive these claims of Christ and say, these are my own. Without a doubt, I think, I think about what we shared last week, and we talked about very briefly the divine source of his teaching. And we said his teachings were not his own, they were from God. And, and so as he began to teach, he said in verse 16, My doctrine is not mine, but his that sent me. And he was basically saying, listen, you as rabbis, you quote other rabbis. I'm not quoting rabbis, I'm quoting God in heaven. I'm quoting the one who sent me. And we were reminded that he didn't come uh, uh, to, to uh, expound from other rabbis like the rabbis did. He came to share truth. But we're going to look at the second point today is where we're going to pick up where we left off last time. And that is his desire to do God's will. In verse number 17, look there with me. He says, if any man will do his will, he shall know of the doctrine, whether it be of God or whether I speak of myself. So we see, secondly, his desire to do God's will. Not just the divine source of his teaching, but his desire to do God's will. And so as we... Now you should be kind of caught up where we were from last week. But the coming to Christ is not motivated by your desire to get what you want. Although sometimes people think, well, if I do this, then God will do this. A, a true disciple of Christ, a true uh, person who says, I want to truly be transformed by Christ, simply says, I want to come and I want to do God's will. It is motivated, motivated by your desire to do for God what He commands. Do you have a desire to do God's will today? Amen. Amen. Man, the Bible says if you come to Christ, there's, then, then you're coming to the only one that God has sent for you. In other words, if, if, you're, if you want to do the desire of God, there's no one else to come to. 
Only Christ, only Christ offers a way to salvation. Only Christ fulfilled the will of God. Buddha didn't, uh, Muhammad or, or anybody else. No one else fulfilled the will of God except for Christ. He was the one that fulfilled the needs that we have today. And so notice that the world teaches some things about, uh, about uh, God. And they say, listen, if you want to come to God and you want to pray in this temple and, and light some incense, you know, God will look upon that favorably as long as you believe sincerely what you believe. Or maybe they say, well, you can meet God over here in the woods and, and worship this tree or this, maybe you're a deer hunter and you like to worship the, the hunt. And listen, you want to worship God this way, then it's okay. That's acceptable in God's eyes as long as you're sincere in what you believe. But that is not at all what Christ is talking about here. Matter of fact, it's not uncommon to hear someone say, well, me and God have an understanding about this stuff. Don't you worry. And some of the preachers are laughing because they know they've heard this. And people oftentimes when you witness to them and say, listen, God says there's only one way to salvation, they'll tell you, well, listen, preacher, don't you worry about me. God and I have an understanding. So let me, let me just back up for a second. You mean God of heaven, who's the same yesterday, today, and forever, made an exception for little old you? All the rest of us have to go one way, but you have your own way? When Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. You see, the reality is that you cannot short-circuit the will of God or the plan of God. The will of God is that you put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation and in Him alone. There is no plan B. If you don't like it, you can't make your own way. Instead, we must humble ourselves before the Lord and be willing to seek Him as the only way to heaven. You see, throughout His life, Christ demonstrated that He was not here for just uh, His own will. Christ wasn't saying, listen, it's my own will, my own desire. Listen, throughout His life, He said, Father, not my will, but Thine be done. As a matter of fact, we see this in His birth when He was a divine birth. We see this when He was at 12. He was in the temple and He told His mother, wish you not that I must be about my Father's business. He wasn't talking about carpentry that day. He was talking about His heavenly Father, the one that had sent Him there. He was there at the feet of the rabbis and He was learning and He was actually teaching in that day. He was doing the Father's business later as He was ministering in His 30s and he was uh, gathering his disciples and ministering to the multitudes and taking the disciples one-on-one -on -one and teaching them and investing in their lives. Listen, it was, uh, he was obeying the Father's will when he was in the garden. And he said, Father, not my will, but thine be done. When he hung on the cross and when he arose from the grave, it was all to fulfill the will of God for his life. Listen, that is the picture of total submission to God. I would dare say that some of us struggle with that total submission to Christ. But this, if we're going to truly be transformed by the Lord, that's where we must begin. Say, God, not my will, but thine be done. Not, Lord, not my own way. I'm not going to follow this teacher over here. I'm going to follow Jesus Christ because he is the only way, and this is your will and your plan. Listen, God said in 2 Peter 3, 9, God is not willing, willing that any should perish, but that all should come to the knowledge of repentance. He wants you. He desires you. He hungers for you to be saved. That's His desire for your life. God's will is that you would come in humble obedience unto Him and say, God, I'm a sinner. I cannot in my own power, my own ability, my own uh, 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 way come to you. So I come through the way. I come through the door. And His name is Jesus. You see the sinner that is weary of his sin, is weary of his fallenness, must come to, come to Christ and cry out, Father, I accept your way, not mine. 
So in verse 17, it says, If any man will do his will, he shall know of the doctrine. Christ was speaking here, not of a magical blessing, not of a personal enlightenment, but simply obeying the Lord's will. In May of 1844, Samuel Morris inaugurated the first commercial telegraph line between Baltimore uh, and Washington. And he sent this message from Numbers 23, 23. What hath God wrought? And this message was sent from the Supreme Court to the offices of the B&O Railroad. This was not merely a pious expression for the public, but really it was rather an outpouring of his heart. And it's demonstrated even in a private conversation he had later with a pastor named George Hervey. He spoke with Morris and he, and he asked him, Professor Morris... When you were making your experiments yonder in your rooms in the university, did you ever come to a stand not knowing what to do next? Morris replied, oh yes, more than once. And at such times, the pastor asked, what did you do next? And Morris replied, I may answer you in confidence, sir, but it is a matter of which the public knows nothing. I prayed for more light. He said, listen, I know that God has the answers. What draws people to the gospel is a desire to do the will of God. Consider this truth. God exists. Do you believe that today? Amen. We believe that He exists, that He is sovereign. He is the judge. He is the executor. Listen, without Christ, I'm on the wrong side of God. I'm alienated from Him. I am called an enemy of God. So what do I need? Submit to God. Listen. Admit that, God, I'm a sinner. My life has been devastated by sin. I want and need deliverance. I need freedom. That's what Christ offers today. Psalms 119 and verse number 2 says, Blessed are they that keep His testimonies and that seek Him with a whole heart. Listen, when, when he talks about the whole heart, that means, God, I'm going to come to you your way. Lord, I'm going to not keep reservations in my heart, but instead I'm going to give you everything. That means my will, my desires, my whole life. Lord, I lay it before you because I trust you completely. Jesus came. He taught uh, opening in the temple, he opened, openly in the temple. He taught the crowds. He taught... Uh, the, the, about wisdom. He bought, taught about knowledge of God. He cried for men to come and to believe in Him received, and receive life. But instead, they stood back, they mocked, they stayed in their foolishness, and they rejected. Jeremiah 29, verse 13 says, And ye shall seek me and find me, when ye shall search for me with all your heart. Many today reject Christ, not because uh, it, is, it is just... Hard to understand, but because maybe it's too costly to believe. Think about this. If they want Christ, it means leaving a life. Some people want Christ because it means they think in their mind a life of comfort, a life of ease, a life of happiness. But Christ said, take up your cross and follow me. The cross the cross is a place of shame, a place of agony, a place of torment. And he calls us as disciples today in the church and says, Listen, will you follow me? Will you follow me to the cross? Listen, many people don't want the will of God. They want God to do their will. We think we've got God like a magic genie in a lamp and we rub that and then uh, and he says, Poof, what do you need? But God says, Listen, it's not about your will, but mine. Friends, 
When we have a view of God where God is our personal genie and He's just here to, to at our beck and call for anything and every need, listen, let me remind you that this is a damning view of God's and His nature. As for me and my house, let me tell you, we're going to serve the Lord. And that means, listen, it's not about my will. It's not about my desire. It's not about this. I'm going to simply follow Christ. But this is not a new phenomenon. Remember in the Bible when Jesus was, was sharing truth and, and as he was preaching to the crowds, there was a rich young ruler who came to Jesus Christ. And he said, listen, I've kept all of the, all of the commandments and I've done all of these good things. He says, what do I lack? You remember what Christ said? He says, go and sell what you have and then come and follow me. He says, whoa, 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 wait, 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 hang on. You don't understand. I've got a lot of money. I've got stocks. I've got bonds. I've got houses. I've got lands. I've got servants. You don't understand. That's a, that's a lot. Surely you don't mean everything. And Christ said, yes. If you really love me, what was he saying? He's saying, listen, what do you love above many? What do you love? What is in your heart that's greater than me? And for that rich young ruler, it was his wealth. It was this world. And the pools of it were stronger than his love for Christ. And Christ was pointing it out. And he said, listen, down in your heart, there's something there that's greater than God. The essence of true faith is not seeking what Jesus can do for me. True faith says simply, God, I am a sinner. I'm in need of a Savior. And Lord, I recognize that your way is the only way. And so I put my faith alone in you. And as Christ stood there and before the crowd that day, he was saying, listen, you can embrace me. You can trust me. You can take these truths as your own. One, because they come from God. They're divine. Secondly, because I have a desire to do the will of God. And if you do, you'll follow me. The third thing we see is his deference to the Father's glory. Think about this. If, as he looks here in verse number 18, he that speaketh of himself seeketh his own glory. False teachers, frauds, fakes, hypocrites, phony messiahs, they were all in it for personal gain. Many of you can remember some of those in, uh, in our era. Uh, we, could, we could name names, but we could, we could remember some of those who uh, maybe would say, hey, listen, God's told me that I need a $90 million jet. Hey, God's told me I need to build this edifice and this uh, $6 million home. Listen, God didn't tell them that. Their own egotism, their own pride, their own vanity told them that. Listen, false teachers, uh, hypocrites and fakes and, and phony messiahs all, are all in it for personal gain. The New Testament's clear. They do it for the money not, and for the power. They don't do it for Christ. False teachers are oftentimes fleecers of the sheep. They come in and they say, listen, I just, I, I need more money. I need to do this. And, you know, and they make it uh, seem genuine, but it becomes all about me and not about Christ. John chapter 10, you want to look there in your Bible. I want to encourage you just a couple of pages over probably in your Bible in John chapter 10 verses 12 through 14. Jesus makes it clear that when he talks about false shepherds in John 10, they seek their own glory. In verse number 12, he says, But he that is an hireling and not the shepherd, whose own the sheep are not, seeth the wolf coming, and leaveth the sheep, and fleeth. And the wolf catcheth them, and scattereth the sheep. The hireling fleeth, because he is an hireling, and careth not for the sheep. I am the good shepherd, and know my sheep, and I'm known of mine. 
You see, the difference was this hireling wouldn't, would leave the sheep because he, his, he cared more for his own life and his own safety than he did for the sheep. The good shepherd, who is Jesus Christ, cares enough for us that he died for us. Man, I'm so thankful that God reminds us in Romans 5, 8, but God commended this love toward us in that while we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. Listen, he just didn't say, listen, I, you know, it's nice knowing you, you know, I, sorry you made that, I, you, sorry you sinned. He sent his son to die for you and me. The Pharisees, they didn't seek to honor God, and that's the distinction that Jesus was making in verse 18. He says, He that speaketh of himself seeketh his own glory. They're talking about other rabbis. They're giving homage to these other guys. They seek their own glory, and they have their own glory. They would pray. They would give. They would serve in such a manner that Christ even said that they had their reward here on earth. John 5, 44 says, How, how can you believe which receive honor one of another? And seek not the honor that cometh from God only. You see, they were more interested in the praise of men than in the praise of God. Every false Messiah seeks his own glory. And so that's what I love about Jesus Christ. He sought to glorify the Lord, the Lord in everything he did. In John 7, 18, he that speaketh of himself seeketh his own glory. But he that seeketh the glory that sent him, the same is true. And no unrighteousness is in him. Christ is sharing with them that he is not here to receive glory. Remind you of 10, Mark 10, 45. It says, For the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give His life a ransom for many. One day when the Lord comes back, it's going to be a glorious time. Amen. His feet's going to land on that mount. And boy, that, the Bible talks about it splitting. Boy, there's going to, the armies of the world will crumble and, and, and fall before Him. He will set up on His kingdom on this earth for a thousand years. He'll rule and reign on this earth. Man, what a glorious day that will be. And I'm telling you, we look forward to that day. It, and and we're, we're excited about having a perfect ruler. We're, we're thankful for who God gives us now, but we're, we're praying fervently for them. But listen, we look, we look at our Messiah and we say, man, that will be a perfect ruler. He will be fantastic. We will love him. We will worship him. We will cherish him. But listen, when he came the first time, he came to give glory to the Father. How do you tell a true teacher? Listen, he doesn't seek his own glory. Jesus sought the glory of God only. That's part of his humiliation. He left the glories of heaven. The splendor we can't even imagine. He left all of that. And the Bible said he was made in the likeness of men. He was found in hum and, and he was willing to humble himself into obedience of the Father. Listen, he was willing to lay aside what he had entitled, and he was willing to uh, come all the way down here and put on the form of a servant and was made in our likeness, in our image. And we see that here on the cross, he was willing to lay down his life. He was murdered at, those he cre uh, at the hands of those he created. So who is the true Savior? He's the one that washes the feet of the disciples. He's the one who didn't come to be ministered to, but to minister to and to give his life a ransom for many. He's the one who humbles himself in love. He's the one who, who seeks to bear others' burdens. He's the one who seeks no money, has no home, takes nothing, gives everything. He's the one that defers all glory and all honor to God, not to himself. There's no other teacher. There's no other Savior like Jesus. Jesus had no personal glory in mind. And as he prepared the disciples for his death on the cross, he took time to teach and to pray with them. In John chapter 17, chapters 14 through 17, Jesus begins to really invest in their life. In John 17, he prays with the, the disciples one final time in verse 5. 
It says, And now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self for the glory which I had with thee before the world was. Listen, he said, there was glory. He had all glory, all power, all authority, but he was willing to give it up, and soon we will see him in his splendor and his glory. False saviors will rattle their own banks. They'll glorify themselves. They'll lift up themselves just like the Pharisees, like false prophets throughout all of time and all of history. Listen, don't ever... I, I, love, I, I love Pastor Tolbert. He's always told me, Brother John, don't you ever put my name on anything at that church. Why? He's not a false prophet. Because he said it's not about me, it's not about Tolbert, it's not about any of those things, it's about Jesus Christ. He said, keep my name off of things. And I told him, well, just for spite, when the Lord calls you home, I'm gonna, we're going to name our Family Life Center Tolbert Family Life Center. <laughs> I was teasing with him because I know he'd come up from the grave before it was time and strangle me, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> Listen, there's a distinguishing mark there. Listen, in, in, in Luke 16, 14, it says, And the Pharisees also who were covetous heard all those things, and they derided him. They wanted the glory. They wanted this, that, this attention. They were lovers of money. And Peter, he talks about them in ministry, and he talks about them having filthy lucre. They wanted that power, that prestige for themselves. These Jewish leaders, as Jesus shared these things, it hit them right between the eyes, if you will. And, and, and because they were the ones that sought all that attention. Literally, they would walk around the streets of Jerusalem uh, in their regalia so that people would uh, pay homage and, and give them respect and, and part the way for them. Truly, they had their glory on earth. No false Savior will hang on a cross and say, Father, forgive them. And so we see His divine source of knowledge. We see His willingness and desire to do the will of God. We see that it is deference to the glory of God, calls us to embrace the claims of Christ. But uh, fourthly, we see His declaration of man's sinfulness. Verse 19 and 20 says, Did not Moses give you the law? And yet none of you keepeth the law. Let me, let me pause for a second. Remember, the Pharisees were ones that prided themselves in keeping the law of Moses. That was what they, they, they bragged about, uh, that they were very diligent in all, keeping all of the law of Moses. And yet here Jesus Christ throws it in their face and says, Did not Moses give you the law? And yet none of you keepeth the law? This is the same truth that we see in Romans 3.10. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. The same truth that Galatians chapter 3 deals with. This, this truth is that none of us are able to keep the law. The law is not sent so that, so that it can save. The law is given so that it might re reveal that we are in need of a Savior. You know, we, you can't earn your way to heaven. A proud legalist is still a legalist and they're still a lawbreaker. The law of Moses cannot ever save. The law of man cannot save. It's, it was intention was to condemn and to drive sinners to this overwhelming fear and need that they need uh, salvation through Christ. Romans chapter 10 and verse 4 says, For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. You see, the law drives you to the end and pronounces final judgment on you because you can't keep it. And there at the end of the law, when the law has given its final verdict, stands Christ. Stands there to give salvation that's not available in the law. 
He says in verse number 20 or 19, he asked this specific question. Why go ye about to kill me? Let me ask you something. Remember, these are the ones that prided themselves on, not, on keeping the law. And yet he makes this accusation. You go about to kill me. Does anybody remember the sixth commandment? Thou shalt not kill. I think y'all said it just at different times. Thou shalt not kill literally means murder. He says thou shalt not murder, but that's exactly what they were trying to do. They were blasphemous. They were murderous. They were unworthy disciples of Moses. And John pointed them out. He says, listen, your father is really the devil in John 8, 44. And six months later, when they all show up again for the next feast of the Passover, they're all screaming for his blood. Crucify him. That's who they were in their heart. And the truth be told, without Christ, that's who we are. Verse 20, And the people answered and said, Thou hast a devil. Now this is something that first, for the first time they've kind of made, given credence to. Throughout the Scripture they have, uh, you know, it's kind of been rumored here and there, but this is the first time where we see them, the Pharisees, actually saying, Thou hast a devil. They're almost giving credence to this theory, this rumor that's floating around. But we'll see this begin to grow momentum over the next couple of chapters in, in the book of John until we see that uh, eventually they're screaming for his death. And matter of fact, in Mark chapter 15 and verse 14, we see that Pilate said to them, Why, what evil hath he done? Pilate looked at him and he said, I can't find anything wrong with him with his life. And they cried out the more exceedingly, Crucify him. Why? Because it all starts back here. I, I mentioned last week that we're going to begin to see this hatred, this animosity really build in the next few chapters as we go through the book of John. And so wishing to please the crowd, we see Pilate released Barabbas and Jesus was scourged and they handed him over to be crucified. This was proof of the wretchedness of their heart. They were lawmakers, or lawbreakers. They were murderers. And you know, the claims of Christ that I read to you at the very beginning of the message today are validated by the divine source of His knowledge. We know it comes from God. We know that He had a desire to do God's will. We know that He deferred all the glory to the Father. We know that He was willing to declare man's sinfulness and throw it in our faces and say, listen, you are a sinner. But there's one final thing I want to share with you as we close. His deeds of righteousness. Verse 21 through 24. Jesus answered and said unto them, I have done one work, and you all marvel. Let me, let me just pause and go back. Remember John chapter 5, if you will. Look back in there in your Bibles. In John chapter 5 and verse number 1 and following, you'll see that there Jesus uh, went to the pool of Bethesda. And it was there at this pool that there was a great multitude of impotent folk, a blind, halt, withered, verse 3, waiting for the moving of the water. And then we see where Jesus Christ heals this man who had been healed, uh, who had 38 years had been infirmed. He had, had been an impotent man for 38 years. And Jesus was willing to heal him. Now the rub came, not because he healed, but because he healed on the Sabbath. And so this is where Jesus begins to talk about the Sabbath a little bit. Verse 22, uh, back in our text, John 7, 22. Moses therefore gave you uh, unto you circumcision, not because it is of Moses, but of, of the fathers. He's talking about Abraham. This came went all the way back to Abraham. And ye on the Sabbath day circumcise a man. If a man on the Sabbath day receives circumcision, that the law of Moses should not be broken, are ye angry at me because I have made a man 
every whit whole on the Sabbath day. You see, what he was saying was, listen, in your traditions and in, in your belief system, you believe it's okay to break the Sabbath day in order to perform the rite of circumcision. And he said, and it's okay with you. You don't have any problems with this. He said, but for some reason in your mind, it's wrong of me to do a good work on the Sabbath day of healing. He says, the real reality is that you are messed up in your thinking. Jesus says uh, here, he says uh, in verse 23, he says, uh, if a man on the Sabbath day receives circumcision that the law of Moses should not be broken, are you angry at me because I've made a man every whit whole on the Sabbath day? Judge not according to the appearance, but judge righteous judgment. He said, if you do that, if a man receives circumcision on the Sabbath so that the law of Moses will not be broken, why would you be angry with me because I've made a man entirely whole on the Sabbath? You know, he said, his lesson was from the greater, or uh, the lesson of, to the greater. He said, one miracle, one miracle on the Sabbath. Circumcision took precedence over the Sabbath, and so does doing good, showing mercy and kindness. He said, stop looking at these at, with hypocrisy at, at, at these others around you. Stop looking at the power I've displayed and, and, look, and, and instead see the grace Look at the goodness. See the marvelous works that God is doing. He, and God calls us even now to look at His life and His powerful works. And, and John wrote this that we might see and be able to testify that truly Jesus is the Christ. If we were to look at all the claims of Christ coming from a man, we may scoff, but He's not just a man. He is the Lord. He is the Son of the living God. The Pharisees spent their whole life judging on the outward appearance because that's what hypocrites do. That's what, uh, what they sell. That's what they produce in their life. And that's the nature of hypocrisy. Well, if you don't have the right tie on and the right suit on, then I'm going to judge you harshly for that. Listen, that's not the, the spirit or the nature of Christ, is it? Jesus reminds us here that it's time for us to look and see what God is doing in the heart. A man named Lord Lineth, uh, Kenneth Clark. He was known for his television series, Civilization. Maybe you've seen it. He lived and died uh, without faith in Jesus Christ. But in his autobiography, he admitted that one time he had visited a beautiful church building, and he had believed he had what, an, what he expressed to be a religious experience as he walked into that place. He described it like this, My whole being was uh, irradiated by a kind of heavenly jo joy far more intense than anything I had known before. But the gloom of grace, as he described it, created a problem. If he had allowed himself to, uh, to be influenced by it, if he, he knew that he would have to change his life, his family might think that he lost his mind, and, and maybe the joy wouldn't last forever. Maybe it would be an illusion. So he concluded this, I was too deeply embedded in the world to change course. What a sad, sad testimony. You see, the reality is there's plenty of reasons to believe, and that's where it starts today. Right in your heart, are you willing to follow God? Are you willing to say, Lord, it's not my own way anymore. Lord, I'm going to follow your way. Lord, I'm going to follow your will. I'm going to trust Jesus Christ.